there can be so much confusion around what actually is your carbon footprint? How do you calculate it? And after you do, how is that going to impact your daily decisions? Well, today I have a special guest on the podcast with Michelle Lee. She has created an easy way for everyone to figure out what their carbon footprint is and be able to have the knowledge to go about their day, make decisions that will allow them to reduce their carbon footprint. As we all play a part in this, and it's really just a snowball effect where understanding your carbon footprint and becoming carbon literate is only the beginning. So make sure you stay tuned for this entire interview with Michelle Lee from Clever Carbon. You're here for another dose of climate positivity on the Green Business Impact Podcast. Here we highlight the amazing work of green businesses from around the world that are fighting against climate change. If you are ready to be inspired to take action, ready to hear some amazing examples of how we are working to fight the climate crisis, then stay tuned because this week's episode will be the perfect hit of climate positivity. Well, do you mind telling us a bit about Clever Carbon and what you guys do? Yeah, so Clever Carbon helps people learn about carbon footprint in a really hip and fun way. We are not judgmental. We don't tell people what is the right thing to do or what is the wrong thing to do. We share information and data so that people can make more informed decisions. And we use really delightful and fun branding so that we just look like everything else you see in pop culture and we look interesting <laughs> yeah definitely for all the listeners here you have to go check out clever carbon's website it's just fun to, to look at to be able to go through and learn all about what's on there so it's definitely when you say in a fun way and hip way it's definitely that and what why don't we go ahead and start off here just for everybody in the audience who might not be completely clear on exactly what things are can you tell us about a carbon footprint how is that defined yeah, this is a term that's literally being thrown around left, right, and center. It's not something we learned about in school. And when people use the term, you don't really get a little tutorial about what it is. So I'd love to shed light on what is carbon footprint. So think about your morning. You woke up, maybe you turned on the lights, maybe you turned on Billy's podcast, or maybe you took the train into work. Every one of those activities, like even making coffee, requires energy. And today, most of our energy comes from fossil fuels. So coal, natural gas, oil, and we burn fossil fuels to get energy for electricity or to move our cars. And when we burn fossil fuels, we release greenhouse gases and these go into the atmosphere. They accumulate there and they trap heat. And carbon footprint is really the measure of the amount of the most common greenhouse gas, which is carbon dioxide. Let's say you charge your phone for 10 minutes. There is a carbon footprint for that. There's energy that we used and there's greenhouse gases released and CO2 or carbon dioxide released. So if you charge your phone for 10 minutes, there's a carbon footprint for that. If you charge your phone for 15 minutes, there's a different carbon footprint for that. For making a coffee, there's a carbon footprint for that because you're using energy not only to maybe heat the water or power your coffee maker, but even thinking about how do we get the coffee, right? There's a whole sort of life cycle of there were plants and there was tractors and fertilizers and the coffee had to be roasted and shifted and 
all of those steps require energy as well. Charging your phone is a really simple way to measure your carbon footprint, but also everything we do, whether it's making coffee, it gets a little bit more complicated. For individuals, everything that we do in a year that uses energy and releases greenhouse gases as a result is our annual carbon footprint. So anything from charging the phone to our individual carbon footprint, companies have carbon footprints, cities and countries have carbon footprints. And it's really where you start and stop of all the activities of that company, of that city, of that country that release greenhouse gases or use energy. So where you start and stop, that can be a little bit of a gray area, which makes things a little difficult too. Yeah, it's difficult to conceptualize a country or a city or a carbon footprint. It's very easy to conceptualize charging your phone for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, but really it, there's a start and stop. And usually when you know carbon footprints are expressed, they'll tell you what the methodology is and what they consider to be part of that carbon footprint as well. And lots of actually products have carbon footprints too. And every single product has a carbon footprint, but companies are starting to carbon label to inform consumers and customers of the carbon footprint of that product. That makes it convenient, especially for those of us who are conscious of how much carbon we're actually, what our actual carbon footprint is. It's very useful for a company to say, oh, this product produces this amount of carbon or took this amount of carbon to produce this product. So yeah, having that carbon label is useful for those of us who are conscious of those things. Do you see as a society moving towards hopefully more people becoming carbon literate? I hope so. I definitely do because I think it's becoming more and more important for companies to be net zero and carbon neutral and carbon offsets are becoming very popular and I think consumers want to know the quality of the offsets and what companies are actually doing. And in the next couple of years, I definitely see carbon literacy being a thing of the past, meaning that everyone is already carbon literate. That would be great, wouldn't it? Because mm -hmm. everybody is carbon literate. Is that some of your hope with Clever Carbon to be able to spread light on what is a carbon footprint and be able to help people understand in a more comprehensible way and hope to make more people carbon literate? Is that kind of a, one of your goals for Clever Carbon? Yes, absolutely. And carbon literacy, it's a journey. It's not everything. Even I don't know everything. <laughs> For example, knowing that the average carbon footprint of an individual in the U.S. is 17 and a half tons annually. So that's how we measure carbon footprint on an annual basis for an individual. An individual in the U.K., their average carbon footprint is around 8.3 tons. An individual in Vietnam, their carbon footprint is around 2.1 tons. And one flight from New York to Tokyo is around 1.8 tons. Most of the people who live in Africa, their carbon footprint is around one ton or even under that. Even having people understand how carbon footprints can be different from different countries is really important. And I like to really talk about food as well, because average vegetarian meal is around 600 grams of CO2. Average serving of chicken is around 1300 grams of CO2. The average serving of beef is around 7,700 grams of CO2. So just knowing this information, I think, can really help people make more informed decisions and is an important piece of carbon literacy. It's not just, oh, we're net zero, but what is the impact of our actions on a daily basis? Yeah, definitely. And what would you hope would be that impact on a daily basis? What behaviors would you hope to see change because people are finding out and understanding what their carbon footprint is and what the 
different choices that they're making are having an impact on their carbon footprint. So there's really only a few areas in an individual's life that has a really big impact. It's the 20-80 rule. 20% of what you do gives you 80% of the output. And those inputs are how we commute, our diet, how much we fly, and energy consumption in our homes. And so from a daily basis, there's sometimes not a lot that we can control. But when it comes to diet, I think diet is so incredibly important because our agriculture and animal product results in about 25% of global emissions. And individual flying makes up about 2.5%. That is in no way a license to fly, but I think it's important to understand the importance of our diet and the agricultural systems. So thinking about the impact you have in the choices for what you have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, incorporating more plant-based items, more plant-based meals is very impactful. But not only that, thinking about food waste or food that goes to landfill. So even an apple core, for example, when we throw an apple core into the garbage, it travels further. So landfills are typically further away from cities or wherever we live. So there's a higher carbon footprint to transport that item. Additionally, when the apple goes into the landfill, it goes underground and everything is toppled over. And so it's in an environment where there's no oxygen and it rots. And when it rots, it produces methane. And methane is a greenhouse gas that is 25 times more potent than carbon dioxide. Definitely want to avoid methane where we can. Whereas if we put that apple into compost, it typically travels a shorter distance because our compost stations are typically closer to our cities. And in the composting centers, they are constantly turning the food and the soil, and that introduces oxygen into the mix. And as a result, carbon dioxide is produced instead of methane. And this compost and soil can then go back into the ground and help us fertilize our future food. So even we think about food in terms of our diet choices, but things like composting can be really impactful as well. And I will say our home energy usage, there's a lot of easy things that we can do. Most of us probably charge our phones overnight. We just leave it in, plugged in, but that draws energy continuously. Some of the newer phones actually do a better job of actually not taking energy if they know it's being charged overnight. But most of our phones, if we plug them in, they're constantly drawing energy. So being mindful of that or the devices that we have plugged in that just sit there, we don't even use them that often, but they're continuously drawing energy. Even our monitors, I turn my monitor off at night so that it's not taking up energy. So it's small things like that. Can you live with a little bit of a warmer environment in the summer? Can you live with a little bit of a colder environment in the winter to save energy? All of that. Yeah, definitely. Because heating and cooling our interior rooms, that takes a lot of energy. And that subsequently is producing a lot of CO2 and different carbon gases, depending on how clean your grid is. I was wondering how much, especially for Clever Carbon and what you guys are calculating on your website there. Have you seen changes recently with an increase in the amount of renewable energy, especially here in the U.S. that's coming online? Or are you have you been seeing it mainly unchanged? So with Clever Carbon, the only calculation that we do is our quiz. And we basically take data from the Global Carbon Atlas, whatever they have, and we scale up and down the carbon footprint based on an individual's answers to the quiz questions. 
When it comes to renewable energy, we don't monitor that consistently. I know that there are legislations in the U.S. that want to bring more renewable energy online, but it's expensive. It is time. It doesn't happen overnight. And there are policies that need to be created to make it easier to have these on the grid. Not every country or city has the ability to just turn these things on. It takes time and it takes funding. And I would like to talk about your quizzes on Clever Carbon. What are your the general quiz questions? Can you just go over them here and let everybody know more about it? Yeah. So in our quiz, we ask just a couple of questions. And the idea is most people don't want to sit through a 30 minute or one hour quiz to find out their carbon footprint. And there is no quiz that can really give you that accurate level of detail because then we would be asking, Billy, how many times this year did you dry your clothes in the evening versus midday versus morning? Because the grid has oh, wow. a different carbon footprint during those times. So it doesn't make sense to get into the level of detail. So at Clever Carbon, we really simplify it. Our first question is, what country do you live in? Because your country really determines your average carbon footprint. The U.S. is 17 and a half tons, U.K. 8.3, Vietnam 2.1. And so we want to at least start at a level that makes sense for that country. Then we ask about commute. And each question has three options. And for commute, it's walking, public transportation, and driving. Then we have diet. Are you vegan, vegetarian, maybe equal opportunist, or a carnivore? And then we ask about flying. How many hours do you fly a year? And then we ask about home energy. Do you know if you have access to renewable energy or it's mostly fossil fuel based? We have an option for I don't know as well because most people don't actually know. And those are all the questions that we ask. Gotcha. That, that's super easy and super quick. I remember I took it back when we first met during our pre-call and that was a lot of fun. I just wanted to have on the audience hear more about it too. And what have you seen as in the response to the quiz so far? I will sometimes see 30 entries within two to three minutes. And I think what happens is someone, oh my God, this is so cool. I found out my carbon footprint. They put it on Slack and then they send it to their coworkers and then everyone comes in and does them as well. So I do see that sometimes. And I see quizzes come in from different countries, Turkey, Japan, all over the world. And our quiz is translated into nine different languages. And to date, we have about 34,000 people globally that have taken the quiz and hopefully through partnerships and more awareness, that number will go up and everyone will have a sense of, even if they don't know their own carbon footprint, they will know, oh, my country's average is one and a half. And how many countries is somebody able to put in? Can you do anybody around the world or is it just certain countries? No, it's most countries. And our data is from the Global Carbon Atlas. They are a fantastic resource and they make their data publicly available. So we have access to most countries in the world there. There's like one or two missing, but most countries we have. That's very cool. And do you have a sense of how many different countries you've had people do the quiz at? Lots, probably <laughs> over a hundred for sure. That's really cool. And what else do you offer on Clever Carbon outside of the quiz? So the quiz is a free resource that we have available. Another free resource that I really like is our coffee menu. So it's a free resource and asset that anyone can print out 
and it has the carbon footprint of coffee items and it looks like a menu but instead of having the price or the calories it has the carbon footprint and it's a very gentle way to help people realize oh espresso or black coffee is 50 grams of co2 wait why is a latte 350 grams that's so much higher and oh, there's plant-based milk and there's a different carbon footprint to a plant-based latte, which is 140 grams instead of 350 grams. And oh, a paper cup and a lid and the sleeve have a carbon footprint too. So I encourage everyone to download that, put it in a frame, put it in their office at work or gift it to your local coffee shop so they can put it on display. And the idea is to get people curious, huh, coffee is a carbon footprint. What about wine? or beer, or iced tea, or those pairs of shoes that I bought? And obviously the answer is yes, every one of those things have a carbon footprint. And I also do a carbon footprint workshop and lots of companies like to hire me, especially during Earth Day to celebrate and learn about carbon footprint in a really fun, engaging way. It's an hour, it can be done online or in person. I've done a lot of hybrid ones as well, but it's a great way to get everyone on the same page in an organization and incorporate the learnings into the business as well because reducing carbon footprint and reducing impact actually results in cost savings a lot of the time and your customers actually want that too so it's really a win-win oh yeah definitely it's a win-win all around have you had any quotes that you could bring off the top of your head from one of those experiences? I did one a couple of weeks ago and I got a response from the person who organized it and they were like, we had so much fun. We learned so many things that we had no idea about. Thank you for doing this workshop with us. And I think that's usually the response is like, wow, I didn't know about carbon footprint and I didn't know that it could be so fun to learn about it. And on our website, we've got testimonials as well of other people who have taken the workshop. Definitely. And do you have a piece of your workshop that kind of goes into, okay, like you can do this today. This is great. But the importance is every day from here on out. What are you going to do after this workshop, right? Yeah. So one of the components of the workshop is to teach people to be able to determine what has a higher carbon footprint? Going off of your question, one of the pieces is what has a higher carbon footprint? Wired headphones or this headphone? What do you think, Billy? Oh, I, that's a very good question. And I had to guess it would definitely be the wireless headphones have a higher carbon footprint because to manufacture them, right? Let's look at the life cycle of the product. To manufacture the wireless headphones, we require precious metals. There's mining involved, so it's more carbon intense to actually get the raw materials. And then if we think about the lifetime of the product, we have to continue charging the wireless ones almost every day or every couple of days throughout its lifetime. So it's continuously drawing energy. But not only that, when your phone is on Bluetooth and connected to another device, your phone uses more energy as well. So you have to charge your phone more often. And obviously we lose the wireless headphones and we have to replace them more often. So overall, if we look at the life cycle, I would say that the wireless headphones have a higher carbon footprint. Yeah, definitely. So you're really talking about looking at the individual components of what's creating the object, what's creating this product, and also how it's being used during its life cycle. And when you assess those two things, then you can make an assessment of, okay, what's going to have the higher footprint. 
exactly. Gotcha. And what are your goals for the next six months? Yeah, I would love if every company during their employee onboarding incorporates environmental and climate knowledge into that. And using Clever Carbon's quiz is a really quick way to get people learning about carbon footprint. And it might sound very specific and very detailed, but companies are already doing that today. So we work with a company called Data IQ. They are based out of Paris and they have offices in New York, London, and Toronto. They're a very rapidly growing tech company. And I've done the workshop with them a couple of times, but now they have licensed our content to use in their employee onboarding and they also incorporate our quiz into their employee onboarding i think that's a really great example of what i'd love to see over the next six months and right now billy you and i are talking about how this sort of impacts everyday people and consumers but I think what's really important is, are our policymakers, are our leaders, are our C-suites carbon literate? As they are determining how they are reducing their carbon footprint, what types of offsets they're using, how they're removing, do they actually understand what the situation is? We didn't quite talk about, for example, the concentration of CO2 is 420 parts per million. And experts say that we need to be at or below 350 parts per million in order to have a thriving climate. So what that means is even if we go net zero, we're still going to have 420. So how do we get to 350 in a really short amount of time? I think most people who are making some big decisions don't actually know that information or the fact that globally we emit 40 gigatons of CO2 annually, about 20 gigatons is absorbed by our land and oceans, and the excess 20 accumulates into our atmosphere year over year. So we have all this carbon in the atmosphere. And the US is about six gigatons, China is about nine, and the rest of the countries make up the rest of that. But do our policymakers know that? Do our politicians know that? Do our C-suite know that? Why are we doing this? Why do we care about carbon footprint? I think it's really important for our leaders, especially to be carbon literate. Yeah, definitely. And are you hoping to, especially once people are able to understand and become carbon literate, this becomes more of a snowball effect to being more aware about the environment, because there's a lot of things going on out there in terms of what we are doing to the environment and harvesting rare metals and all sorts of other things where we're really negatively impacting the environment. And so we can't just, just focus as on carbon, but carbon is the first building block to say, okay, we start off with become carbon literate because that's our most pressing issue. Would you say? Yeah. hundred percent. I think you hit the nail on the head. And in my workshops, I also cover water footprint and waste footprint. Carbon footprint is not the be all end all. We need the full picture. We need to think about biodiversity, to think about nature conservation. And I think also what's helpful with carbon footprint is understanding which solutions actually will make an impact. Where should we be spending our time to get the biggest punch we can get for the short amount of time we have to correct things, if you will. And it's hard because carbon footprint is the measurement that we use, but 
so much of biodiversity can't necessarily be measured. Definitely. I agree. It's one single part that we need to pay attention to, and it's so important, but it can't be the end all. We can't just stop and say, okay, we've hit 350 parts per million. Now we're good. Now we can just do whatever we want. Like we got, we have a commitment to the environment and to the earth to making its healthiness, keep it healthy, whether that's with carbon or whether that's with our oceans or whether that's with the amount of trash along the landscape, like all of these things need to be considered. So I definitely, I think it's great that you're having this simple, easy way to have people understand their carbon footprint. And also we need other ways of saying, understanding, okay, how much of an ecosystem impact are you having? (laughs) How much of your, how much are you impacting the environment? Because that's our next step. I think for sure. And I'd love to ask this next question because I get a lot of varied responses and I know a lot of entrepreneurs are just learning so much at all all different times. So what are you currently learning right now? I'm learning about our electricity grid right now. I'm actually doing a course on Coursera and I want to understand how do we get energy to our end consumers? And I think it's important to know this because as renewable energy solutions are coming out and how much solar do we actually need to power the grid? Like how many panels would we need or wind and how do we get these to consumers? I think the energy transition and phasing out fossil fuels is going to be absolutely key to our future and understanding how this energy today is delivered is something I'm very interested in. I think that's super interesting too. And I've heard a number of conflicting reports on how much solar we need and how much of this we need and how much of that we need, because it's like some people will say, oh, all we need is the size of West Virginia or something like that. And it's, oh, that's a lot. It's only we need, we would need so much that every open field in the U.S. would be covered in solar panels. Do you really want to see all these solar panels everywhere? So I think it's a very interesting question. I would love to hear, let me know what you find out because I think it'd be super interesting to know what is the actual like number. I assume that it has a lot to do with how they're calculating efficiencies and what they're expecting for the growth of the efficiency of solar panels in the future and the growth of how much energy need because we continue to need more energy and want to draw more energy as more and more people are having to be powered things. So I think that would be really interesting to find out more about. So I understand why you're interested in that. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. And how close do you feel that we are getting towards our net zero goals? I think we don't have enough people leading the charge that are carbon literate for me to be optimistic right now, but I am optimistic about carbon literacy. If we can get people to be carbon literate in the next couple of years, I'm more optimistic. And the reason I think that is because we need every single person involved to help us get to net zero in a short amount of time. It's not just going to be a top-down. Corporations, individuals, we all need to play a role. And if we don't know what carbon footprint is, what net zero, we're never going to get there. So if we're able to get carbon literate in the next couple of years, I will definitely be about reaching net zero. Definitely. What do you think are the key steps to influencing our leaders to start becoming more interested in being carbon literate? I think we need to ask these leaders 
really tough questions. If we have a mayor of a city that is set net zero goals, that mayor, we need to ask questions like, what is the carbon footprint of our city today? What is the biggest area of emissions within the city? What can we do today? Not by 2050, but what can we do today to reduce those emissions? And for many of the cities, it's buildings. Buildings take up a lot of energy. They need heating and cooling. And so there's all these plans to put in heat pumps and make them electric and blah, blah, blah. But what about today? We can teach people to use energy more responsibly so that we won't need as much energy in 2050 anyway. I think we need to ask tough questions and we need to make sure that they're not only thinking about the future, but thinking of what can we do today. I agree. And what behavior changes can you make? There can be a lot of simple behavior changes, the ones that you've mentioned about switching over doing more plant-based diet and things like that. You can make daily changes that can have an impact. And especially going into work and deciding to say, hey, like talking to your department heads or your department leaders, or if you are a leader of your company, being able to say, okay, we're going to implement this new policy that's going to be more carbon negative or be the amount of carbon that we're using because we're implementing this new policy. So I think that's a huge piece. I agree. I think we need to ask those tough questions and get leaders to answer and say what they're going to do about it because we Mm -hmm. need them to make the actions, not just say they're going to do. Exactly. And for any of the ecopreneurs in the audience here today, what is one tip that you would give them for helping them grow their green business or if they were looking to start their green business? I would definitely give the tip of knowing the impact of your business, whether it's if you have a zero waste solution, know what is the carbon footprint of the product or service that you are offering and how is it different from what people are doing now. And I think that's important because a lot of the times we think that we're creating a solution or a service that is good for the planet, but we may not actually be. So I've seen Facebook ads for electric composters at home, right? The alternative today is that you bring your compost to a community center or some cities you can pick it up, but for the convenience, you have a composter at home that's plugged in using energy and most likely You'll buy it for maybe three months, gets dirty, maybe you store it in the basement and you never think about it again. As a business, how are you helping people reduce their impact, whether it's carbon footprint, water footprint, waste footprint? Make sure you have consultants to help you measure what is happening so that you are actually creating a solution and a service that is better for the planet and not creating distraction. Definitely, because it it not only depends on what you intend for the product to do, but it's actually what people end up doing. That's really important as well. And if anybody would like to reach out to you, learn more about what you do for Clever Carbon, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm on all the platforms, Instagram, we've got our website and contact form. I'm on LinkedIn. I welcome anyone to reach out and ask more questions. Great. Thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on to Green Business Impact Podcast today. It's been awesome being able to talk about carbon footprints and different items that have different levels of carbon footprint. And I definitely learned about my wireless headphones might not be the best, (laughs) most carbon, best carbon option for me. So Thank you so much for your time today. And I hope to have you back on sometime where we can talk more about carbon and where we're at in the future. So thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you for having me, Billy. And if you enjoyed this interview with Clever Carbon and how they are increased carbon literacy, then I invite you to check out this interview with Carbon Book. They are creating ways for indoor farmers to be able to understand and calculate what their carbon footprint is and how to reduce it. So make sure you check out this interview with Carbon Book. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Green Business Impact Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing your weekly dose of climate positivity. In a world that constantly inundates you with the negative things happening, it can be great to take a break and hear some great things happening in the world. Make sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app to stay up to date with the latest and best interviews of the top minds in the green industries. And if you are interested in launching your own podcast to make an even larger impact on the world, then look no farther than the podcasting platform that I use here to launch every single episode of Green Business Impact, Podbean. I searched through all the different podcasting platforms out there and the best choice by far was Podbean. They give you truly the best value and all the resources you need to spread your message to the world by easily connecting you to all the different podcasting networks like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all of them. And they give you so many resources and opportunities to monetize it as well. So if you are on the fence about which podcasting platform to go with, make sure you check out the link in the description below to register your podcast with Podbean. Thanks again, and we can't wait to see you back here next time for another hit of Climate Positivity.